0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Good morning, Emmaus. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not see him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity.
1: He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, and you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account. Till you find none. The Lord is King forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror
2: no more. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, Emmaus. This is much better than. Just a couple of people in the back. It's almost like preaching to my GC, which is, which if you're in my GC, you're probably laughing because you're like, that's kind of what you do in GC. Um, Today is our last uh, Sunday in the series in the Psalms. Next Sunday, Andy will be back. Uh, uh, I always said I'm like the junior high team. The varsity team will be back on Sunday, and Andy's going to start a four-part series on race, justice, and the gospel next Sunday. Uh, He's excited to start that. I know he's been thinking about that for a long time. And honestly, we just want our desires for that series as a church to help us grow more into the image of Christ as it just relates to those topics. Uh, We wanna see what the beauty of God is doing in Jesus to transform every part of our life. But in the next series, we're just asking, how can the gospel transform us and transform our community as we consider race and justice. So if you could be praying for that, we'd appreciate that. And that's kind of where I started last week. The language we use here at Emmaus is we say that we wanna see Denver transformed by the beauty of the gospel. And it starts with us as disciples, as people making other disciples, we want everyone to look like Christ by the beauty of Christ in every part of our life that's the transformation that happens by the beauty of the gospel that we talk about. It's discipleship. It's having that transformation happen in every single part of our lives. And that's what it means to look like Christ by the beauty of Christ. So last week in Psalm 9, we talked about three specific parts of our lives, three specific experiences where we could look like Christ by the beauty of Christ. We looked at when we experience success, when we're offended, and we're, we're called to endure. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that sermon, you can check it out on our podcast. It's also on YouTube. It's on our website. Um, I feel like after the live stream, we pretty much have our bases covered. This week is a, a little bit different. We're going to talk less about a specific part of our life and more about one of the most common questions that comes up when we begin to think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a question that definitely asked by christians but is often asked by the rest of the world it's almost sort of like the christian equivalent to getting your first paycheck or getting that first bonus you know they tell you like a few months in advance and you're thinking about that bonus whether it's like $500 or $5000 and you're you're kind of putting it into your budget you're thinking about what you can buy and then you get that whether you get that first paycheck you get that first bonus you you open up your, your check or you just look at it on your, online and the first question we all ask when we get our first check or our first bonus is, everybody probably knows this, why do they take so much money out in taxes? It's like you don't, you're like, they already took a lot and then you see how much they take out of a bonus and you're like, that, that's, uh, that becomes less cool when you see that happen. Um, but being a disciple, wanting to look like Jesus has kind of a similar experience we're enjoying the beauty of the gospel and it's making us look like Christ. And then all of a sudden we're in a situation where we ask, why God? We ask, what are you doing? What's going on? Like, why? Why God? And I can't think of a more common Christian question. We're put in situations that don't make sense to us And we can't help but wonder, we can't help but ask. And sometimes we can't help but cry out, why God? It's probably the the oldest book in the Bible It's probably Job. He asked that question. Moses asked that question. David asked that question a bunch of times in the Psalms. Isaiah asked that question. The disciples asked Jesus that question. And even Jesus asked that question. On the cross, he said, why, God, have you forsaken me? Why, God? And Jesus asked it, so it must be a good question. And it's a question that can take a bunch of different forms and come in a bunch of different situations. But regardless, God's people have been asking that question for forever because it's a good question. And it's such a good question because it leads to our response to God's answer to that question. Our response to God's answer to that question, that's the, that's the difference maker. God does answer our why God questions. And our response to God's answer will absolutely determine whether you're more transformed into the image of Christ or not. Psalm 10 is one of those times where this question comes up. This psalm is sort of like our chance, like Jesus asked, why God? And it's not just to ask, but we'll see one of the most common situations where this question comes up. We'll see one of the common answers in scripture. And by God's grace, by the work of the spirit, we'll see one of the most uncommon responses to God's answer. Why God? And it's a great question. We should be asking this question. But the response to the answer God gives, regardless of the situation, your response will absolutely determine whether you're made into the image of Christ or not. So let's pray and ask the Spirit to help us look like Christ by the beauty of Christ when we come to that point in our walk and just say, why, God? So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for just the opportunity to gather even with a few Uh, seeing your praises to respond to who you are and worship you lord that's a joy we look forward to to including others uh, in in that worship lord we look forward to worship you in heaven uh, with all your people and um, seeing your glory not veiled but face to face Um, lord i pray that that would be on the front of our minds as we think about and worship you. Thank you for just the opportunity to ask this question honestly in Psalm. Pray that your spirit would help us trust you and love you more um, than we did this morning after thinking through your word. In your name I pray, amen. I feel like my podium is short. The risk of not knocking it over. All right. So we're going to look at the common question, the common situation, the common answer. And finally, we're going to end with the uncommon response. The common question, situation, answer, and then finally the uncommon response. So let's start with a question. This is the easy one right here in verse 1. He says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? He's just asking. Why? And when we ask this question, it can take a bunch of different forms. We can say, why, God, are you not doing anything? We can say, why, God, are you not comforting me? Why, God, are you taking so long? Why, God, are you not changing me? Why, God? It's a common question. Why, God? So what's the common situation? It's not when things are hard, even though that's part of it, It's when things happen that shouldn't happen. Think about it. Have you ever spent too many evenings online shopping? I feel like that's like a common coronavirus situation. Or maybe grub-hubbing instead of cooking at home. You get your credit card bill at the end of the month. It's huge. It might be lame, but you're not crying out, why, God? You know why. You, You went out, you ordered stuff on Amazon, that's why. I feel like I have that experience every time I get back from vacation and step on the scale. I look down and I'm not excited about that number, but I'm not asking why, God. I know why. It's because I was thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner while I was eating lunch. That's what you do on vacation. <laughs> so so it's, not, it's not just situations where, where bad things happen. The common situation where we say, why, God, is when something is happening that shouldn't happen. We say, Why God, when the world isn't working like it should? And that's what David is saying in Psalm 10. Look at verses four and five. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for his foes, he puffs at them. Which I wanna use that in a sentence, but I couldn't figure it away, puffing at my foes. David is, David is looking at people, totally ignoring God, seeing that they are prospering, seeing that life is working out just fine for them. And he's like, hey, it isn't supposed to work this way. Why God? Why can people ignore you and just be fine? It shouldn't be that way. And it's not just that these people are ignoring God. It's actually worse. Look at uh, verses seven through nine. It says, his mouth is filled with cursing And deceit. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. He lurks like a lion. And this isn't like a Tiger King picture with a cub thing, this is like National Geographic violent going after the animal with the teeth um, kind of situation. David's looking around him and he's seeing people blow off God, take advantage of others, but still prosper, still have success. And he's asking, why God, it shouldn't be this way. But that's that's real. That's that's when we start to genuinely wrestle with the question of why God in situations where it just shouldn't be that way. We don't ask why God, when I step on the scale after vacation. We ask why God, when we look around us and see the world not working like it should. That's the common situation. That's when we ask, why God? You know, this can be kind of all over the place. You know, something as simple as a job. Sometimes you're working really hard someone else is kind of a slacker and they still get attention or they still get promoted. That happens and we say, why God? It shouldn't work out this way. Maybe it's personal. Maybe you just went out on a limb for someone and you were trying to be nice and they returned the favor by blowing you off or, or something that's hateful or not very nice. It shouldn't be that way. When that happens, we ask why God? And sometimes it's situations where we step forward trying to do the right thing. Maybe we're trying to make a good financial decision. So we think, you know what? I'm gonna buy a less expensive used car or I'm gonna buy a house that's a little smaller so I can live within my means. We make a, we make a wise decision and that wise decision leads to things breaking down and just more suffering. And we say, why? Why, God? It shouldn't be that way. I tried to make a good decision. And those are Real scenarios where God has an answer. But for some of us, when we ask that question, when we ask the question, why God? God has brought circumstances into our life that are much, much, much more tragic. It's hard not to think of even the people in Beirut right now that Ben prayed for earlier. You don't think those people are asking, why God? Of course they are. Death is the the ultimate thing that should not happen. And that brings us to the question, why God? And if you've been there, if you are there, I know that feeling. Bridget and I felt that in a really tough way before we moved back to Denver. Bridget decided that it would be more like Christ for us to take a step back uh, from our careers and just try to have kids. And that was her conviction at the time. We kind of just felt like that was like the right thing to do, and I still, I still really think it was. And after our first try, we had a miscarriage that was really hard. But I think I just said to myself, um, let's, just, let's just try again and that'll help make it, help make it better. And we tried again. And a few months into the pregnancy, we had complications and it put us in the hospital, sleeping on a plastic couch for an entire month and it ended with Bridget's organs failing and a stillbirth. And we just wanted kids. And we ended up walking out of the hospital with empty hands and furniture to sell in our nursery. And after we left the hospital and got home, Bridget could barely walk. And two weeks later, we had to put down one of her cats. And then the second cat died because the other cat died. We just thought it was the right thing to try to have children. And the cats, I know, I know what it's like to ask why, God. Why the cats? And then other people we saw that talked to us didn't even want kids and they had kids. We just wanted to do the right thing. It shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be that way. It's a common question. Why, God? It's this question we ask a lot when things happen that shouldn't whether it's broken cars, people getting away with stuff, even death. And death isn't normal. If anyone tells you that, they either haven't experienced it or they're lying to themselves. Death shouldn't happen. So why then, God? And I put a common answer because it's all over scripture. The common answer is to trust our God in the good promises of that God. The answer all over scripture is to trust the God who promises to work in the worst things for the good of his people. If he uses the death of his own beloved son, I can trust he can use the death of my daughter. And I don't mind saying with Christ before the cross, I don't, I don't mind saying, God, if there can be another way, let there be another way. Even crying out to the Father is trusting in the promise that he's listening. That's a response that looks like Jesus. Look at how David cries out in verses 12 and 15. He says, arise, O Lord, Oh God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account until you find none. Break the arm is just pleading with God to take away their power. David is begging the Lord to show himself, to glorify himself, to not forget the poor, the helpless, the people who remember God. And he's pleading with God to take away the power and the success that the wicked have. Like Jesus, David's asking for another way. David cries out to God because he trusts in the promise that God is listening. And you can even see that in the way those verses are formed. This section 12 through 15, it's what's called a chiasm. It's when the sentence is diagrammed, it forms part of an X, which is the Greek letter chi. And the point is that it's this X is pointing to the spot where you need to focus on. This is where sort of X marks the spot. And the spot that we need to focus on is in verse 14. It says, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commit himself, you have been a helper of the fatherless. What's the common answer in scripture for the why God question? It's reminding yourself of the promises of a loving, wise, and powerful God. Reminding yourself of the promises. That's what verse 14 does. God notes mischief and vexation. It's like saying God doesn't let people get away with things. He's promised to judge David also knows that God promises to be the helper of the helpless. The helpless, those who have nothing left. Those Jesus would say mourn. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who hunger and thirst for the way things should be. Those are the helpless. Those who are crushed by their circumstances. David knows that God promises to comfort them. So what's the common answer? You can trust in the promises of a good God. Jerry Bridges is an author um, who lives in the, lived in the Springs. He died recently, but he wrote a book called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. And he said that when you're we're responding to God's answer to why, we're tempted to doubt one of three things about God. And when we doubt one of those three things, we're actually imagining a God that doesn't exist. We're imagining a false God that doesn't comfort. So we don't turn to that God or his promises. Instead, we, we believe this pretend God because we're doubting an attribute of God. And so we're not comforted by him. And look at what he says. This is from Jerry Bridges' book. He says, truths we must believe if we are to trust him in adversity Truths, we must believe God is completely sovereign. God is infinitely wise. God is perfect in love. Completely sovereign, infinite in wisdom, perfect in love. And this is hard. How can God be in control over what happened in Beirut? How can be wise thing when God allows someone to get promoted who obviously doesn't know what they're doing. How can a loving God take away my child? How do we know that these things about God are true? How can we trust this God? We look to the beautiful gospel that transforms us. We look at Jesus and see that God perfectly controlled the situation where evil men plotted to destroy and hang the son of God on a cross. We look at Jesus and see that God in his infinite wisdom is using what the world thinks is irrelevant that the guy hung on a cross 2,000 years ago. And here we are Socially distanced. But here we are gathered and worshiping that guy as he sits on his throne today and uses his spirit to draw people to himself. That's wisdom. And we can look at Jesus and see in that bloody torture machine we call the cross, we can actually see the perfect love of God displayed as he deals with the problem that started everything in the first place, our sin. The gospel shows us that our God in the worst situations, that our God still has perfect love, infinite wisdom, complete control. That's the gospel showing to us this is a God that we can trust. So what's the common answer to why God? It's God calling us to trust in his promises. And that brings us to the most important part, how you respond to that your response will absolutely determine whether you're transformed into the image of Christ look at the last few verses and see David's uncommon response it says the lord is king forever and ever the nations perish from his land o lord you hear the desires of the afflicted you will strengthen their heart you will incline your ear To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. David starts this psalm with why God and ends with expressing his confidence in the promises of a good God. He says, The Lord is king. He says, God will strengthen their heart. He says, The Lord will do justice. These are statements expressing the fact that David trusts in the promises of God even when he can't explain the things around him. And this is hard. I know. Just trusting God and his promises, that's an uncommon response. We want want God to explain to us why and how he's working in every situation. We say, why God, explain yourself. And God says, haven't I shown you enough? that I can be trusted? And in a sense, we say no. We say no, explain this one. Explain this situation. I don't want to trust in what you've already said. I can't just trust in your promises because that's not enough. That's the common response. And remember I said that Jesus was hanging on the cross. Jesus said, why God? And he actually said, Eli, Eli, lima, sabachthani. He said it in Hebrew because he was quoting Psalm 22, which goes on to say, why God do I cry out and you don't answer? Jesus knows what it's like to not have all the details. But he went on in Psalm 22 and responded with, in you, our fathers trusted and you delivered them. So I'm going to trust. Jesus didn't have all the details, but Jesus was saying, God, I still trust in your promises, even if I don't understand all the details as I hang here naked and nailed to a cross. And if the perfect, sinless Son of God can accept God's word and the promises of God, then you can too. There's nothing wrong with asking, Why God? God answers us with trust me and my promises. The question is, the thing that's gonna make the most difference in your life is how are you gonna respond to that answer? Will you like Jesus in humility, accept and trust the God who has spoken? Or will you in your pride demand more details and say to God, you haven't proven yourself to me yet. That trust is the uncommon response that makes all the difference in the world. That's the faith that changes you more and more into the image of Jesus because you trust our good God and his promises. And we can be thankful, for, thankful to God, even in death, even when things are happening that shouldn't for those promises, those unspeakable gifts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you see us in your son. I thank you that we can look to Jesus who never doubted your goodness or love for a second and that's what you have credited to us. Lord, I thank you that your love for us isn't based on how often we question you because we do. Lord, that's good news and we can come before you and ask you to transform us. Ask you to grant us the gift of faith so we can trust in what you have done so that we can trust who you are and turn to you for comfort, Lord. Thank you that you promise to comfort us. Lord, I pray that for those of us struggling with circumstances that just don't make sense, that your promises would be comforting. Thank you that you promised to comfort us, Lord. Um, I pray that we would dwell on who you are in your gospel often, and that would, that would see us transformed more in the image of your son for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen.